We're going to be looking at the second commandment. And we uh, just started a series at our church on, on the Ten Commandments. And Pastor TJ, who is our senior pastor, is doing uh, the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, this, uh, this morning out in Wellsboro. So let's read Exodus chapter 20. We're going to start at verse 4 through 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Let's pray as we open up God's Word. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God of steadfast love. And we just sang that were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. And we thank you that you are a God who in spite of the sin of your people that you continue to love us. That you continue to forgive and you hold out your wounded hands to us. We thank you for the grace that is in Jesus. Help us to understand your word, but also to apply it this morning to our hearts. And in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in 21st century America, it's pretty uncommon for us to see people bowing down to idols. And you might think that the second commandment is pretty irrelevant in Newtown, Connecticut, In our society, we're pretty bad at not lying and coveting and taking the Lord's name in vain, but not having idols, I think we're all set with that, right? But I I was reading about a pastor who was in a rural part of India, and he was just amazed by the number of idols that he saw. There was a shrine on every street corner, on every hilltop, People carried little gods around with them in their pockets to bless them. It seemed like there were as many gods as as there were people. And so he walks into this large hut with a thatched roof. uh, They're starting a conference over there. And he was there with a, a number of pastors and missionaries and really native Indian uh, people who were part of the ministry there. Many of these people were former witch doctors and idolaters and very superstitious. So he meets this pastor's wife in this large hut and she asks him, have you ever been to India before? And he says, no, I haven't. Have you been to America? And she said, yeah. But I would never go back there. And he asked her, why not? And she said to him, I can't stomach the idolatry in America. And he said, 
Are you kidding me? Look at all the shrines on every corner. But as he began to think about it more, it made more and more sense to him. Because we so easily see idols in other people's lives, in other people's cultures. But it's so easy for us not to see it in our own. For us, it's entertainment. It's sports. Our our temples, our shopping malls, and sports stadiums. I mean, you want to see some guys worshiping. Go to a football game in 30-degree weather... And you see guys without shirts on that have painted their bodies and they're shouting and yelling and standing up for two hours. That is is a form of worship. We we bow down to, to what's in our Amazon carts. We worship the approval that we get in our social media profiles. And we carry these little gods in our pockets called cell phones to which we give an inordinate amount of attention. We look up to politicians as our functional saviors. And I think of all the vitriol and how polarizing the political spectrum really is. And when we get down to the bottom of it all, it is all fundamentally, whether we realize it or not, worship. Because worship isn't something you only do on a Sunday morning. We all worship constantly. Uh, Harold Best said that worship is the outpouring of all that I am and all that I do. So worship is what you give your heart to. It's what occupies your thoughts. It's what you're obsessed with. It's what you stay up late at night thinking about. We were made to worship. Everyone does. The, even the agnostic worship. That's why the philosopher Peter Kreeft said the opposite of Christianity isn't atheism, it's idolatry. And our hearts are these idol factories that produce one idol after the other. So, what are the idols of your heart? What are the things that you are tempted to worship in, in God's rightful place. And we may not have literal shrines with golden Buddhas, but idolatry happens every day in Newtown and Danbury and Brookfield and, and all around us. And God has said no idolatry. So I have a statement that I summarizes the, what I believe the text is speaking about, and I make it kind of personal. And so if you're taking notes, I'd like for you to write down this statement, it's, and it's this. That I will destroy idols in my life and worship God who loves me. That I will destroy idols in my life and worship God who loves me. Do you realize that your idols don't love you? Uh, They don't care about you as long as they can enslave you, but God is zealous for you. God loves you deeply. So as we unpack these implications of the second commandment, I want to begin first with the the prohibition. And we're really going to spend most of our time on this first point, and it is this. Do not worship any kind of image. 
So let's unpack verse 4. He says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything. And now he's going to list this laundry list of every category of every kind of thing that someone in Israel 3,000 years ago might be tempted to worship. Right? Anything that's in heaven above, or that's in earth beneath, or that's in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them and serve them. And I want, you, I want you to notice something about that command. Isn't it interesting that he tells us not to make any kind of image? He doesn't start by saying don't worship them. He says don't make an image. And, and we as human beings love to make things. There's something very satisfying about participating in the act of creation. Right? God created, we love to create. Many of you may be involved in art. Um, perhaps you work with your hands that you uh, are involved in construction or furniture making or electronics. Some of you have built businesses. Some of you build with words. If you're in school and you write papers or you've had work that's published, some of you make amazing food. When we were all kids, we loved to play with blocks and Legos, and there's probably kids in the nursery right now building with blocks because there's pleasure in being creative, and I think that's a gift of God. But we destroy ourselves. We take the things we make, and we take our passions, and we end up serving them in the rightful place of God. That's, that's the temptation, that we serve the gifts of God and the things that we make and the abilities He's given us rather than God Himself. Now the second commandment, however, isn't so much about serving other gods, right? First commandment is have no other gods before me. But second is not to make a graven image. So the second commandment is primarily about not making a false image or a false idea of God himself. It means worshiping God the way he wants to be worshipped. Do you see the difference? And this played out in the history of ancient Israel. And if we look back on Israel's history... You may recall in the book of Exodus how Moses goes up to Sinai to meet with God for 40 days. And there God writes these Ten Commandments. And the people wait for him to to come back down from this fiery mountain and bring back this, this word from God. And they get restless. And they throw together all of their gold and Aaron creates this golden calf. And they bow down to it and worship. And do you remember what Aaron said to the people as he presented them this idol? In Exodus 32, he says, this is the God who brought you out of Egypt. And he actually uses God's covenant name, Yahweh, to describe this idol. So, when they were worshiping this golden calf, they weren't worshiping some Egyptian or Canaanite god. They're actually using this idol to represent the God of heaven that had delivered them from Egypt. The same thing happens later in Israel's history. Of course, Solomon was the great 
king of Israel. And, and the kingdom was united under Solomon, but after he died, he had a son named Rehoboam. And under the rule of Rehoboam, the kingdom split into the southern tribes, Judah, and then the ten northern tribes, and that was led by the first king of Israel, Jeroboam. And Jeroboam did not like the inconvenience of having to go down to the temple in Jerusalem in the southern kingdom to worship. So do you know what he did? He, he created two golden calves, one in Bethel and one in Dan, two cities in the northern tribes, so that they could worship in the northern kingdom. And when he created these golden calves, he says this, Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Do you know that's this exact same thing that Aaron says hundreds of years before at the base of Sinai? So here they are. They're not intentionally trying to serve foreign gods. They actually believe they're serving the God of Israel when they bow down to these likenesses, these, these golden calves. Why is it so wrong then to make a representation of God? So here's a few reasons. One, idols are finite, but God is infinite. Part of the appeal of idols is that they make God visible. They make him something we can see and understand. And that's exactly what Israel did with these golden calves that spoke of fertility But God is indescribable. He's inexhaustible. God is not some local God or goddess that can be appeased. In Romans 11 it says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. And the moment we try to make a representation of God, who's a spirit, we've drastically limited our perception of who he actually is. And so the way we worship God isn't by making an idol and bowing down to it, any kind of representation. God is a, is a God of the word. It's by absorbing ourselves in his word and, and seeing him for the exhaustible mystery that he is. I mean, how could you take an infinite God who is inexhaustibly great and all-powerful and try to represent him with something made by human hands? Now, do you realize when people in India and other countries and the ancient Canaanites bowed down to idols. They didn't actually believe that that physical piece of wood or stone was actually their God. They, they were just supposed to be a reminder of their God that was in heaven. They were trying to make an invisible God visible. And I, I want to be sensitive to you, who may be former Roman Catholics, and perhaps still are, And maybe you're trying to figure out the whole Protestant thing. But it's hard not to see the comparison between the second commandment and not making carved images and representations of God and the crucifix and and 
bowing down to images of the saints and, and Mary. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, this is exactly what, what happens in Catholic churches today. I mean, let alone the fact that, that praying to anyone other than God would be a violation of the first commandment, to have no other gods before me. And we need to be honest with ourselves. When you bow down your head, and you get on your knees, and you say, Holy Mary, Mother of God, you're not just asking her to pray for you. There's something more to it than that. So if you were to say to, let's say, Pastor Joey, you were to say, Joey, will you pray for me? He would say, sure, and you'd probably pray for you right then. But if you were to get on your knees and prostrate yourself before this man and say, holy Joey, full of grace, uh, he would tell you to stop worshiping him. We need to be really honest with ourselves about what praying to the saints and Mary actually is. Uh, In Scripture, there are no positive examples of this. You don't see it in the early church because they would say that's a violation of both the first and the second commandment. Don't make images. Don't pray to anyone else but God alone. Soli Deo Gloria. Give, Give God glory alone. So idols are finite but, but God is infinite. Another reason we're not to make images is that idols can be manipulated and controlled, but God is, is sovereign. The idea of physically representing God gives you the ability to pick him up. You can take him with you. You can carry him around. And because you can do that, you can manipulate it to do what you want. And that's what Israel's Canaanite neighbors did. And they served these images of these other gods because of what they thought they could get out of them. They thought they would make them prosperous. And they did their rituals, and they performed sacrifices, and they thought, surely Baal is going to bless us. He's going to give us rain for our crops. He's going to make our animals fertile and give us prosperity. And they realize they, they didn't worship idols. No one worships idols because they actually love them. We worship idols because of what we think we can get out of them. And, and how many people view God like that? As if he was a vending machine. And you might think, God, I say these prayers to you, and I'm trying to be holy, I'm trying to do what's right. Now, Just give give me what I want. And when we have that idea, we get mad at God when we don't actually get our way. And I'm not saying that God doesn't answer prayer. He does. And we can never pray too much. But don't treat prayer and, and worship as this ritual where, where we, we get what we want just by putting in the time. Because God is not an idol to be manipulated and appeased. Because a God you can control and manipulate is no God at all. Because the goal of worship is not to get stuff, not to be blessed. The goal of worship is to know God. Instead, when we pray, bring, bring your requests and your longings, but look to him as the sovereign king and say, not your will, but my will. Here's another reason we're not to serve idols. Idols always lie. But God is faithful. If we saw idols for what, we, what they really were, we would, we would never serve them. 
Because they promise joy and pleasure, but they always bite you. I mean, how many have looked at a bottle of whiskey and thought, this is the path to freedom? But you know, you know that it turns into slavery. No one becomes a drunk or an addict on purpose. It's because they think they're going to get real joy and satisfaction and pleasure out of serving that idol. But instead, it literally kills you. Where we live in Wellsboro, there is, it's a very rural area. I mean, we have 3,000 people in our town. Yet there is still an opioid crisis. And in my time there, uh, for four years, we have buried three people because of overdoses to these idols. Idols can literally kill you. uh, The love of money makes you desperately greedy and dissatisfied. The idolatry of sex renders you numb and even diseased. The idolatry of popularity or fame makes you a narcissist with no real friends. And uh, we're being seduced by idols now that They whisper in our ear. They make promises to us. Idols tell us they're going to make us happy. But they lie. Don't listen to them. They're going to strip away the things you love and cherish. Don't believe in the lies of idols. Instead, we need to reorient ourselves to God's word. We believe the lies of idols because we're not listening to the voice of God. And and when I say the voice of God, I'm not talking about a prompting or a feeling that we might get. I'm talking about Scripture. When we're not listening to God, by absorbing ourselves in Scripture, we tend to drift and, and we begin to compromise. Because you don't need a god of wood and stone to make an idol. You can manufacture a false image of God in your mind. Some people call this cafeteria Christianity. Um, You choose the things that you want to believe about God, and you throw away the things that you don't like. And so God then is whatever you make of him or her or it, and God is like this butler or genie to attend to your wishes when you need him, but he doesn't make any real demands on your life. This kind of cultural, Americanized conception of God is okay with sin. He never gets angry because he's just like us. And when we're not in the Word, we start to believe society's version about the American popular God and the the world's values begin to shape us. And we make this false image of God in our minds That is totally antithetical to who God actually is. You ever ever hear someone say something like, I like to think of God in this way. Or my God would never... And and whatever comes after that is, is almost always totally unbiblical. Because God isn't defined by what we think He is. He's defined by what he says he is. He's not defined by subjective feelings that change with the whims and values of 
culture that constantly changes. He's defined by how he describes himself in, in his word. And when we try to define God our way, we make a graven image of him, and that's idolatry. In fact, it's not God at all. So absorb yourselves in the scripture. Be in the word. It is life to you. It is a light to you. Align your thoughts with God's thoughts, not with the world's values. So this commandment began with with a prohibition. Don't worship any kind of image of God. Don't be seduced by idols. And you might think, why? Isn't that Isn't that pretty self-absorbed of God to demand exclusive worship of himself? Secondly, God is a jealous God. So he says in verse 5, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, we we think of jealousy often as something sinful, something like envy, wanting something that doesn't belong to us. And I teach my children not to be jealous of each other. But when we speak of God's jealousy, it's not that he's envious of something that doesn't belong to him. I mean, I, I look at ancient Israel. God had brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He'd performed these incredible miracles. He destroyed Pharaoh's army and brought them across the Red Sea. He loved Israel. And now they were giving themselves to everyone and anyone, and God was right to be jealous. <laughs> so let's say your, if your spouse were to call you up before dinner, and your spouse said, By the way, I'm going to bring my new girlfriend or boyfriend to dinner you would be outraged. There would be something wrong with you if you were indifferent to that. Because real love means exclusive devotion. And God is jealous for your affections, not because He's petty, but because He loves you. Idols aren't jealous. Idols don't care what you do as long as they can enslave you. But God is jealous because he cares about you. It's also important for us to understand that there are consequences to idolatry. And he gives us a warning. He says, I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. There are a number of dads in this room, and I need you guys to listen to this, that what you serve in your heart, what you live for, it doesn't just affect you, it can go all the way down to your great, great grandkids. And this verse isn't saying that God is going to punish your kids and grandkids for the things that you in particular do. What, it, what it's saying is that your kids are going to take after you. They're going to struggle with the same idols that you struggle with, and it's going to wreck them the way it could wreck you. So smash your idols. Because sin doesn't happen in a vacuum. You, you always take people with you. You can't expect them not to affect your family. 
My, my great-grandfather um, was, a, was a mean drunk. My grandfather took after him. He was a truck driver, and, and he would be gone all week, and on the weekends, he would spend most of the weekends drinking. And my grandfather had seven kids, and his idols affected the whole family. But somehow, by the grace of God, he saved my grandmother. And my grandmother witnessed to her kids, and God saved my dad, and, and he bucked the trend. And my dad had three sons, and that idol of drunkenness has never even been a temptation for us. And that's only because of the grace of God. And, and some of you have been affected by your parents' idols and your grandparents' idols, and maybe you still bear the scars of past generations, but it can stop with you. And I know for many of you it already has, and God has poured out His grace on you because God delights in freeing us from idols. He loves to pour out His grace, but understand the consequences of idolatry that we ultimately bring upon ourselves. So it says, he visits the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But verse 6 says, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do, Do you see the contrast? So the punishment goes to three or four generations, but blessing, the steadfast love goes to thousands, and God is happy to pour out his grace. He he wants to change families. He wants to redeem idol worshipers and rescue them from their sin. And God is holy, but he is also incomprehensibly loving. And when you are loving your sin and living in your glory, God in his love poured out his grace on you and forgave you and grabbed you while you were running for destruction. And if you don't know God, come to him. Because his love, this steadfast love, we could never truly comprehend the magnitude of of what he did for us. And some of you may have grown up with a father who didn't love you. But our heavenly father loves you more than any earthly father could. And he cares for you desperately. But his love isn't only a feeling he has. God has demonstrated his love at Calvary. God has demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why third, instead of worshiping idols, worship Jesus, the perfect image of God. So God has told us not to make an image or a representation of him. That's because he sent his perfect image into the world. And Colossians chapter 1 speaks of the supremacy of Christ. And in verse 15 it says, He is the image. The icon is literally the Greek word of, of the invisible God and all things were created by Him and through Him and Him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and He made peace by His blood on the cross. That Jesus Himself is the fulfillment of the second commandment. 
God says, don't make an image of me. I'm going to send my perfect image into the world. And he took the sins of idolaters like us. And he bore our idolatry on the cross. And he spilled his blood for us. And he was crushed to free us from those idols. So don't worship an idol that was crafted in your heart. Worship Jesus, the perfect image of God. One of my favorite passages, I think, in in all the Bible is at the end of 2 Kings, and it's in chapters 22 and 23, and it's the story of Josiah. And he was only eight years old when he began to reign. His grandfather Manasseh was one of the worst kings, probably the worst king of all of Judah, He reigned for 55 years. He was so horrible that he even sacrificed some of his own children to a god called Molech. And then Josiah's father was a man named Ammon. And he was just as evil and he got killed after only two years reigning. So here's this this eight-year-old fatherless king. But as he grew he started to do things right. When he's in his 20s, he commissions people to do these repairs on the temple that was in terrible shape, that was in disarray. In fact, it was full of idols. And and while they're repairing the temple, they find an old copy of the Scripture, of of the Law of Moses. Can you imagine Josiah never having seen the scripture before, yet wanting to do what was right before God. And so he has it read before him and all the people, and they wept. Because they read these same verses that we are reading today. Exodus 20 is right in the middle of the law. And they realized how far off track they had gone from what God was asking them to do. And so in chapter 23, he does something about it. And he goes on this idol demolition campaign. Uh, Even the temple's filled with idols, and the whole chapter just describes how he has this wholesale smashing and tearing down of idols, from the Asherah poles on the hilltops to purging the pagan priests from their lands and burning these idols and What I love is that he even even leaves the kingdom of Judah and he goes up to the northern kingdom where those two golden calves were that Jeroboam had placed so many years before and he destroys those as well. And he restores the Passover celebration that God had asked them to observe that hadn't been observed for hundreds of years. So there's this holistic campaign against idolatry and obedience to the second commandment. And it says this about Josiah. This was his legacy. It says, Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. What I find fascinating that The Bible doesn't even say anything about King David to that extent. So here's a guy who was so undivided in his love and his affection for God. 
that he resolved to smash every idol. All of us have idols that we need to smash. The problem with idols of the heart is that they tend to creep back up there. So what are the idols that you struggle with? Maybe it's the God of money. Maybe it's the God of comfort or pleasure. Maybe it's an addiction to drugs or alcohol or pornography. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a good thing that you've elevated above God. Maybe it's a self-centered view of God that you think that you can manipulate and you become too focused on the world's values rather than Scripture. So I want you to visualize whatever that idol is in your mind and I want you to smash that idol. And come to the cross because Jesus was wounded for you. He was crushed for you. That he endured the holy wrath of God. And God raised him from the dead. So that every idolater who comes to him could be forgiven. And Jesus holds out his nail-pierced hands. And he says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. It's challenging to live in a world where the values around us are so contrary to the Scriptures. But if we absorb ourselves in His Word, He can help us to smash all of those idols and to have the joy of living for the Gospel and living for Christ who will never leave you or forsake you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your love that was poured out on the cross so that we could be redeemed from sin and that you take sinners like us and you give us grace and forgiveness and love. We praise you for your word. We thank you for this church and I pray that this church would be a beacon for the gospel here in Newtown. We thank you for the work that you've already done and in Jesus' name. Amen.